Messiah. Uh, and I want to share a few things there today with us all, if I can. Isaiah 53, verse 6. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this verse because it's quoted many times in the New Testament. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. i read that again. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, if there's one verse that I could just maybe use to sum up everything this day represents, is possibly that one verse. Uh, in a few weeks, um, some of you may be aware that Sue and I go on holidays this week coming. And uh, my good romance Nazi uh, is Krista, is we go on holidays, which we haven't had for 18 months. And even when we did, we were in Turkey for a couple of days there. So it will be nice. But um, as soon as I get back, uh, I have a teaching block with YWAM on the Sunshine Coast. And that teaching block is to actually teach through the whole book of Isaiah. Uh, I taught them through Hebrews there. And they said, we want you to come back. And so they said, we want you to do Isaiah. And you might pray for me. I've got to do that in three days, which is a little bit of a challenge. But... Uh, because of that, I've really had Isaiah on my mind of late, and I'm really uh, thankful for Paul and Caroline for just doing their presentation there. But uh, uh, Isaiah, uh, to me, is one of the most uh, incredible books of Scripture. Uh, after the book of Psalms, it's the most quoted book in the whole of your New Testament. And uh, I'm not sure, I think some of you will be aware uh, particularly those that have had done any little bit of Bible study. But your Bible is made up of Old Testament and a New Testament. And I don't want to bore you with details, but there are 39 books in your Old Testament. And it's all about God's people breaking covenant with God. So much of the Old Testament is a negative story. Uh, and the last word of the whole Old Testament is, in fact, the word curse. When we come to our New Testament... Our New Testament is made up of 27 books, and it speaks of a new covenant, a new covenant that God has inaugurated with his people. And uh, the last verse is the key word is the word grace. And I just thank God I sit under grace. I don't know about you, but I just thank God for grace. Now, Isaiah prophesied around 750 to 700 BC. That's 700 years before Jesus ever came. And he produced this work we know as the book of Isaiah, a very long book. But many are unaware that Isaiah, I'm normally not a fan of chapters and verses, but in Isaiah, I like it. Uh, in, uh, the, the book is divided in two halves, chapters 1 to 39. And it begins with a last sinful nation. And it deals with broken covenant with Israel and then with the nations of the earth. And it deals at a time with the Syrians uh, taking the world over. And it was dealing with covenant curses. The second half of Isaiah is uh, chapters 40 to 66 or 27 chapters. And it begins, comfort, comfort my people. And it was written at a time of 
uh, when the Babylonian deportation had occurred, and it dealt with the covenant promises that are going to come. And so Isaiah is the closest thing to a mini-Bible we have. 39 chapters, which deals with broken covenant. And then 27, that deal with God comforting his people. If we had time, and we don't, but that second half of Isaiah, chapters 40 to 66, those 27 chapters, uh, is in three sections, each nine chapters long. And they deal primarily with what is called the servant. Now, if I actually outline that second half of Isaiah for you, um, is it begins this way, uh, Isaiah 43, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, if you're familiar with your New Testament, you will know that's how your New Testament opens. It quotes those verses and begins and says, Those words were fulfilled with John Baptist. Then if you have ever read the second half of Isaiah, you'll also be aware that there are four servant songs. And there is this figure that comes into the book of Isaiah, the servant. It all deals with the covenant. Now, uh, the first servant song is in Isaiah 42, 1 to 7, and it's the servant of justice. Amazingly, that prophecy is quoted in full in Matthew's gospel alone is because that servant song is the closest presentation we have of Matthew's gospel encapsulated in form. Is the second servant song is Isaiah 49, 1-6, and the servant is the chosen arrow, the one who's come as the servant of all humanity. And uh, that servant song echoes in the gospel of Mark. Is when you come to the third servant song, Isaiah 54-9, it's the servant who is a disciple and who leads others into discipleship. And that is the closest thing that we have as a mini presentation of the gospel of Luke. When you come to the fourth servant song, this is the servant song known as the suffering servant. In Isaiah 52, 13 through to 53, 12. And it is actually the climax of the whole book. And uh, when you arrive at this servant song, it deals with the suffering servant. And I hope to show you uh, uh, will echo so strongly within God, John's gospel. And then finally, if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, if you read those final chapters, the book ends in that second half this way. For behold, I create a new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Isaiah 50, uh, 65, 17. And of course, that is quoted in full in Revelation 21, verse 1. Now, if you're aware of that, you realize the closest thing we have to a mini Bible is the book of Isaiah, just in encapsulated. If I was stuck on a desert island and someone said you're only allowed one book of the Bible, I could live with Isaiah. Everyone, this is actually the whole Bible, just a mini. Now, with this here, this, the focus in this book, the whole book, is about the servant. Now, Israel thought they were that servant. And Isaiah 41, 8 to 9, just for example, says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, referring to those who'd come from the father Jacob, the patriarch, whom I've chosen, the offspring of David, my Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of earth and called from the father's corner, saying, You are my servant, I've chosen you. And God chose his people and made a covenant with them. And that covenant 
uh, Israel were to fulfill, and that servant was to actually become the, uh, a kingdom of priests uh, to all the nations of all the earth. Tragically, they failed that role. So Isaiah, for example, 42, 19 to 20, it goes, But who is blind but my servant, as deaf as my messenger, who am I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, as blind as the servant of the Lord? And as Isaiah went to Israel at the time of history, they were blind, they were deaf to God, they were out of covenant with God. And so he announces judgment. And primarily the first half of the book is the story of judgment. But then in the book there is this figure that appears, a mysterious figure known as the real servant, the servant. And this servant, if you realize, you'll notice one verse I read today comes from that fourth servant song. And of course that real servant who is foreshadowed is going to be the person of Jesus Christ. And all those songs revolve around him and the result is that 700 years before Jesus came, uh, Isaiah actually spelled out the whole of Jesus' life, ministry, and work in such amazing detail that the liberals thought it was impossible the book could have been written actually before Christ until they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and recovered the manuscripts 100 to 150 BC uh, before Christ verbatim as we have today. And so Isaiah is the most incredible, incredible prophet. Now, it's this verse that I want to read from the suffering servant. And it goes, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And that one verse sums up Easter. It sums up, to me, the whole Bible in, in one verse in a way. And so if you'll just allow me, I just want to share and break this down into the three statements of that one verse. I rarely preach from one verse, but this is a one-verse sermon today. Um, uh, and it just goes, all we like sheep have gone astray. And, you know, is, uh, the Scripture refer referred to Israel as sheep and God was to be their shepherd. And sheep are by nature animals that intrinsically need a shepherd. They need to be cared for. In fact, if you go to the very first mention of sheep in the Bible, very first mention, if you go back to Genesis 4-2, is the second son from Adam was a shepherd. So right from the dawn of time, according to Scripture, sheep have been in relationship with humanity as their shepherd. And sheep cannot live or can't care and give attention to themselves all that well. And so they need a shepherd. But sheep are incredibly prone to wander off from the shepherd. They find a little gap in the fence. And, and as much as their ingenuity uh, contrives, they go through that gap. But then what happens is they foolishly wander off from the shepherd. And they'll keep wandering off uh, with no power, no reason or ability actually to return. The only talent a sheep possesses I don't know if anyone saw the movie Babe, the sheep pig, uh, but you might remember Babe rounded up sheep. It wasn't the sheep rounding up pigs. You follow what I mean? You know, sheep are not renowned for the greatest tricks in the world. They've only got one they can actually do. They can recognize a voice and they can follow the shepherd. That's the one thing they can do. And, you know, is unfortunately, uh, as sheep, they can become separated from the shepherd 
from the voice of their master and they just walk from one patch of grass to another, living only for the immediate. They only live for what's in front of them and usually they're extremely short-sighted to their predicament. Now, ultimately, uh, what happens to a sheep that's separated from its shepherd, as it wanders, it will eventually be ensnared in thorns, for example, as Genesis 22 speaks of a ram that was ensnared, is they'll fall over a cliff or a, or a gully, um, is at some stage they're going to be devoured by animals like lions or bears, uh, they're going to become the meal ticket of, of, of something out there, or if they don't do that, they're usually subject to starvation and to thirst. So a wandering sheep becomes a lost sheep, and a lost sheep eventually is a dead sheep. It's because it's been separated from its shepherd. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been lost. I'm a boy, and, uh, and I don't know, some of you might relate to this, but um, usually if I get lost, I don't ask directions. By all hook or by crook, I'm going to find my way. And my wife usually says to me, you are lost. I get deeply offended when she says that statement. Because I'm a bloke and I'll find my way. Thank you. And what usually happens is I go to find my way. She goes, you're lost. And I get ticked off because you go, you're lost. And, and, and there's something that rises up with me. And I go, oh, I, can, I can find my way. And she goes, no. Why don't you stop and ask directions? I don't like that statement. Uh, any boys in the building? <laughs> And all you frustrated girls, have you ever had that experience? You, you relate, relate to that? Well, Karen over there waving her hand as high as she can get it. <laughs> now, with this here, it's quite amazing when you are lost. Lostness is something that uh, doesn't instantly come to awareness straight away. If you come, there is a process. And at, initially, usually you are blissfully unaware that you are lost. It's not till your wife starts goading you saying, I think you're lost. Is there even a hint that you may be lost? And so you're usually blissfully unaware. Then what happens with a little bit of goading? Uh, what's that? <laughs> but even he gets lost with one of those. <laughs> so what happens is the next thing in the process is there's this gradual, slow realisation that you've been lost. Uh, I, I told a story um, one time I went into an area near the Caspian Sea in Russia and I'd been flying three days, just on, on and on. And, you know, you're stuck in those plane seats and, man, you, you might think some of those Western... You wait till you fly Russian planes. And then, and then friend, and, and not only was I flying Russian planes... But they put me on standby. I got the last seat in the plane. When I hopped in the plane, the seat fell over. This was back after Perestroika. So there was no backrest in the seat. And I'm jammed up at the very last little place in the back of the plane. And the only thought I had, well, if it goes down, I tell you, it'll be quick. <laughs> that was the only thought I had back in those days. And I arrived in this city uh, called Astrakhan. And I arrived sort of a late evening. They drove us to this apartment block. And I was sick of it. And I went, I'm going to go get a little bit of sleep. And in the morning, I'm going for a long walk. 
Now, I did. I woke up in the morning and I walked out. I, I viewed all my, my uh, facility where I was staying and I, I, I tried to memorize it. And off I went. And I enjoyed my walk. Man, I was, I was kicking off and, and out there. And I walked something like six kilometers. And I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked. And I finally arrived back at my apartment. And I went up to the door and it was the wrong apartment. And I, I had this sinky feeling because suddenly I went, I've got no phone. I've got no passport. Um, I had this terrible sinking feeling. I don't even know where I'm staying. <laughs> I had this terrible feeling. I don't even know the name of my house. <laughs> I'm in the middle of Russia. And my Russian's not that good. I, I can say hello and I can say dust for Dunya and when they torture me, I can go horror show, <laughs> which means it's cool. It's all right. And so I, 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 I just had this sinking feeling. And so I retraced my steps and I retraced them and I went, had my bearings right? And I went back and I arrived back at the same door. I did it again. And for the next hour and a half, I retraced my steps, I retraced my steps, retraced my steps. And every time I came back to the door and the people inside the building, I'd never seen in my lives. Now, I don't know about you, but at that stage, there was a slight bit of agitation of fear that overtook my life. Because I thought, man, even they dragged me to the police station and that Russian starts tearing into me. No one speaks in English in that area of the country. Uh, uh, is I'm a sunk puppy. Is, I, I go, yeah, is Australia. And they go, yep, you're an idiot from Australia. I, I know another term. Yeah, is Jurachuk. I'm an absolute idiot in Russian. <laughs> I can say that much. And, um, and anyway, I had this terrible feeling. And, 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 and there's this fear that creeps over you. Uh, if you anyone wanted to know how the story ends? After walking an hour and a half to two hours, round and round and round, my friend on the other side of the building, I'd mirrored, imaged it. Finally, put me out of my misery and yelled out and said, Neville, are you all right? Oh, <laughs> oh glory! <laughs> oh. Now, there's another thing in the process. You get a revelation that you've been lost for quite some time. You've been lost for quite some time. The fourth step is that you try all optimistic attempts at return. I tried them over and over and over again. And you try all of them, and finally, there is despair. At that point, it becomes so miserable, you just despair of all. If anyone's ever watched the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks, he goes through every step of that progression, the process of lostness. And at first, he's just blissfully unaware, and he's yelling out at every opportunity. He then suddenly realizes he, he thinks he's, he, he, he's somewhere remote, he climbs a mountain. He realizes that he's absolutely lost. And then he does all these optimistic attempts at return. He writes signs and beaches. He puts messages in bottles. He, he uh, does everything he can. He makes a raft. And then finally he despairs. And he goes to the top of the mountain. And he tries to suicide. And it's when he tries to suicide in his worst despair that he realizes that he gets a whole perspective of his life. Now, it's quite amazing, as Jesus told a story of lost sheep. You know it well. 
And it just goes there. So he told them a parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, the, the word, the Greek word for lost, you don't know, but you sort of do. It's, it's a, a Greek word, apolumi. And uh, it's the word that in Revelation becomes apollyon, or the root of it becomes that word, which means the destroyer. In Scripture, the word lost actually means to be destroyed for what you created for, to be destroyed for the very purpose that God originally intended for your life. And so a lost sheep is a lost sheep who's gone through the process of lostness, usually is blissfully unaware but it's destroyed for the purpose it was created for, to be with the shepherd. You know, the Westminster Shorter Confession puts it this way, the chief end of man. To, it, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. When a sheep is cut off from its shepherd, it's lost its purpose. It doesn't matter if one is in a paradise. It doesn't matter if one is in a valley of the shadow of death. If one is with the shepherd, you are moving towards your destiny. If you're separated from a shepherd, it doesn't matter if you're in a valley of shadow death or you're in paradise, you're moving in the process towards death. And, you know, is to be separated from the shepherd is the worst position that man can find himself. Yet the scripture says that mankind, all of us like sheep, all of us have wandered away. And, you know, we were blissfully unaware we were blissfully unaware that we are lost. In fact, most of us become deeply offended and angry even if we will suggest to someone that they're lost. Just the same way I get angry with my wife if she suggests it. Most of humanity are deeply offended by that term. How dare you say that I am lost? They're offended by the suggestion. And then you find in this process that for some, there's this gradual realization of fear and disorientation. People become afraid of the dark. People get afraid of change. People get afraid of death. And it actually gets ground in, in cultures and whole people groups as they're driven by this. And then there's the revelation that had been lost for some time. And suddenly there's a recognition of spiritual bankruptcy and emptiness. Materialism loses its attraction. Existentialism, living for the moment, the party life, it evaporates. And at that moment, people realize there is no meaning in that. And you know, then there's all these optimistic attempts at return by their own diligence, just like Paul in the drama this morning. You know, by their own way, they're going to find their road home. Like me in Russia, who traced, retraced my steps, retraced my steps, retraced my steps. And every time I rounded up at the same destination. Exactly. And you know, people go to Hinduism. They go to Buddhism. Now, there's things in those philosophies that are, are good. I, I've sat in India and I've cleaned my teeth with neem trees using Ayurvedic medicine. There's good in that in Buddhism. There, I can I can look at Buddha's eightfold path and go, oh, there's things that, that are good. But the Bible never says uh, that the problem was uh, was that all religion would be evil. It actually says it says man ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you have both together, it ultimately becomes evil because it separates you from the shepherd. And there are all these optimistic attempts at return. Islam, you know, and their the five-fold foundation, Judaism, sacramentalism, you know, nice silver spoons. 
And God says that righteousness is like filthy rags before him. At least Isaiah says that. And then finally, there is despair. Can I just say, when you arrive at despair, that's not too bad. You're a lot closer to the kingdom than you realize. Because Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, for the, it says there, for blessed are the, what? That blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're a lot, lot closer. And you'll get a perspective, just like Tom Hanks did in the movie, their castaway is at the darkest moment. You'll get another perspective of life. And so, you know, some people go, you know, why are there so many religions in the world? You know, I was talking to, who was it this morning? Uh, Maddie. Maddie went and played golf yesterday with Simon. And they absolutely trounced Laurie Hart. And they absolutely trounced, who was it, uh, playing with him? Hugh Dent. And so they trounced him. And uh, anyway, Matt was quite boastful of that as he held out his silver spoons on his chest. And he was parading them before me this morning about the great victory that they had. But can I just say, I, I know you want to... <laughs> I know that, Laurie. <laughs> but can I just say this? People go, why do so many religions... And they say this as if somehow this is a criticism of Christ and that you shouldn't be a Christian because there's so many religions in the world. How arrogant and bigoted that you say you're right. That's sort of the inference by the statement. But, you know, if you play golf, is where do they put all the bunkers, Matt? They put the, all the bunkers as close as they can to the pin. Where does the devil put all religions? as close as he can to the truth. Because when he gets you in a bunker, swinging away, snared in your bunker, going the same shot over and over and over again. His friends, that is religion. And religion will never lead you back to God. And so, ultimately, it will lead you to despair. And so, with this, the sheep, all the sheep. It says, all of us. There are no exemptions. Look around the room. Have a look at who you think is the most righteous, good person in the room. Don't look at me. <laughs> His friends, they too went astray. All of us have gone astray. Now, this leads us just to the second statement. These aren't going to go long. We have turned everyone to his own way. You see, the problem with humanity is he's lost contact with the shepherd. He's con lost contact with the voice of his shepherd. You know, is, I remember A.W. Tozer said this. He said, sins are because sin is. What he meant by that, it's, it, this statement, we've turned everyone to his own way. There are sins that are specific to every person in their own way. But ultimately, there's one major sin. Is all we like sheep have gone astray. We've left our shepherd. That's the ultimate sin. You know, or as Scripture would put it, is independence, or in Genesis 3, 5, uh, for God knows that the day your eyes will be opened, you'll eat. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You can be your own autonomous self, separated from the shepherd. Now, that lie, unfortunately, has led to the place where we have turned everyone to his own way. And you know, what has happened with that? We've all attempted in our own, to be our own masters. And in attempting to be our own masters, we've all been mastered and the tragedy is the most blind to that are usually the most religious 
is because the most religious who are struggling to do their presentation, as Paul presented this morning, is they think by presentation that they can actually present themselves right before God. But, you know, as Jesus said, Matthew 21, 31, listen to these words. He goes, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before religious people. And the reason being is because they're usually despairing and very, very poor spirit and know they've got a need. That's usually why. And this leads us to the third thing. And the Lord has laid the iniquity on him, the iniquity of us all. Now, those first two points, you know, resulted in the curse and the judgment of the Old Testament. That God must punish sin, and uh, just like cancer must be punished in a healthy body. And this leads us to the servant, but in this case, the suffering servant. You know, the next verse in Isaiah puts it this way. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened uh, not his mouth like a, like a what? Like a lamb. And then it goes, uh, this led to the slaughter, and like a sheep. Jesus became one of us. He came as sheep but he was never separated from his father and he became one of us and a sheep yet without sin and in doing so he stood in our place and the judgment and the punishment fell on him and so he became our substitute and our representative and God accepted that and this leads us back at the gospel of John I don't know if you ever seen how John's gospel opens but it opens this way John 1 29 as John Baptist first sees Jesus he sees these words in John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke of. This is the one. And the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. You know, iniquity is poison. All the poison, all the disgusting fallout from sin. All fell upon Christ as he took our place for us and you know just like the high priest who laid his hand on one sacrificial sheep to represent the whole nation on one day of the year God allowed all of that to fall on Christ and in so doing Jesus made it possible for me to be united back to the shepherd and so I can be united back to the shepherd and call him father and I can hear his voice and you know the incredible thing about this it means that suddenly we are delivered from the process of being lost. Some people get deeply offended, deeply offended uh, in their blissful ignorance of lostness. And friends, sometimes your wife is right. And you've got to not get offended. You've got to acknowledge the truth. And then we can be delivered from all fear. We can be delivered from that. And we can come to the place we are delivered from the revelation of our separation we're no longer separated but i'm brought back into relationship with my father i'm delivered from all optimistic attempts of religion to return and i thank god that this transaction just like in the drama is i can only stand and receive instead of do 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 it is done and I just receive everything that is God has done. And it brings me out of all despair. And suddenly it unites me back what I was always created to be. 
The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is why this day, the one day of the year, to me is one of the most important. Because this day is symbolic of the greatest transaction that has ever been in the history of the world. It's the day that suddenly positioned me back into right relationship with God. Because all of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each and every one of us, everyone has turned to his own way. The Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him. This is why we'll never, ever shrink back from the cross. It's because it is the foundation, the foundation of our walk before God. And it's why it's Easter. And I thank God for that. And I thank God with all my heart that I've been brought back to what I was created to be and brought out of that process of lostness. Father, we thank you today. Lord, I pray for your blessing on every person here. I pray, Father, for those who walk with you. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your touch and hand would be upon them. Lord, as we all attempted to do so often to stray, I pray, Lord God, we'll constantly hear your voice. You would bring us back. And Jesus, we just thank you for for taking that price uh, and bearing that cost that all of us now may walk in relationship with the Father. And Lord, we thank you, we honor you, and we thank you that you're our shepherd, the good shepherd. Lord, we didn't find you, you found us. And Lord Jesus, we glorify you, we honor you, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray for people in this room, and I pray for people in this room with family members, loved ones, who are blissfully unaware of their lost state. Lord God, we pray that you would speak into their lives and that you would touch them to the glory of your name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song, but I think... uh, Let's stand, I think. That was Paul, wasn't it? Did we have that all? Your own.